Welcome to the Crux Points Podcast, focused on surviving and thriving in a healthcare world where the consumer is in control. My name is Steve Koch, and I am the Senior Director of the Healthcare Initiative here at Cast and Hugh. And I am joined today, as I always am, by Russ Maloney, the Director of Strategy at Cast and Hugh. Russ, how are things? Doing great, Steve. It's cooling off here in Arizona. It really is. Finally. It's, it's only November, right? Well, Russ, today the theme is healthcare consumerism. And before you say anything, yes. We always talk about healthcare consumerism one way or another, but today we're going to talk about the role digital plays as hospitals and health systems become more consumer-centric. Today, our guest is Chris Pace. He's the Director of Digital Strategy for Dignity Health of Arizona. Now, as many of our listeners know, Dignity Health was formerly known as Catholic Healthcare West, and they rebranded as Dignity in 2012, and that was really just as healthcare consumerism was beginning to gain momentum. So I think Chris has a really interesting perspective, not just on how Dignity and their well-known Hello Human Kindness tagline was rolled out, but also on how the organization has taken steps to better connect with consumers, especially through digital channels. Right, Steve. This should be a really interesting conversation with Chris. Listeners can look forward to hearing how Dignity brings Hello Human Kindness to life in an authentic way, Uh, the different strategies they use to connect with the person they refer to as the chief medical officer of the home, and the role that reputation management plays in optimizing HCAP scores. Sounds good, Russ. Let's go ahead and bring Chris in. So I'd like to start out by uh, discussing your background in healthcare and and the role that you play at Dignity Health. Sure. So about 17 years ago now, um, I was a... college graduate from ASU looking for a job in the dot-com business and I stumbled into healthcare on a round of golf. Uh, It started out doing uh, analytics and uh, strategic planning for a consulting firm in South Carolina and over the years I I realized that my dream of working for the next pets.com was sort of over uh, as those IPOs came and went and disappeared. So I figured, well, healthcare is a safe space to be in. We always need it. Uh, Everyone is going to have at least one incident in a hospital at some point in their life. So I worked and learned the business first. And then when I joined Dignity Health, I had about 12 years of experience in planning and continue to hone that craft. And then one day out of nowhere, I was invited to join the marketing team. And, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a geek. So I I sort of worked with websites and social media throughout my uh, personal time and uh, it helped Dignity Health a little bit in sort of forming their social media strategy just as a sort of fun side project. And then we, we gained a new vice president of marketing, he came to me and said, I want you to join our marketing team. I want you to be our new director of digital strategy. And my first response was, I'm not a marketing person. What am I going to do with this? So uh, I, I turned him down like like an idiot. And then I came back and said, you know what? Um, this makes sense. Uh, if we can make this a data-driven function, then uh, I think we can uh, make it work. So that was in 2014. Here I am two years later. And, uh, you know, I think we've made some great headway. So, um, you know, it's an interesting path. It's not the normal path, I think, into digital marketing uh, for a healthcare organization. But, um, you know, it's it's a 
path I'm proud of. Yeah, you know, I, that's a similar, well, now I'll start over. <laughs> yeah, that sort of a story isn't uncommon uh, for folks that uh, either find themselves either by happy accidents or by design um, going from one field into others within the healthcare, organiza healthcare organization, especially around marketing. D do you feel like that there are certain advantages that you have from uh, a background that might not be as entrenched in that sort of uh, uh, field? I believe so. I think um, you know, hospital marketing as a discipline really started out as a function of operations, and you know, it was, I need a brochure, I need uh, some kind of printed collateral, I need help with an event. So th those types of asks have shifted, and it's become more of a strategic function out of the growth side of the business. And as we all know, uh, growth in in healthcare, um, especially growing commercial and Medicare volume, really helps sustain some of our um, our hospitals. And Dignity Health being a not-for-profit, we need to grow that business in order to help fulfill our mission to the underserved by um, growing in those those uh, areas that really drive home uh, the revenue that we need to keep those functions going and. Um, so being in the strategy side and understanding the data and how not only the hospital needs to function in order to be sustainable, but then also looking outside of ourselves and understanding the competitive landscape, um, I noticed that a lot of folks in the marketing departments across different organizations, not just Dignity Health, really understand the inner workings, but sort of have a bit of a blind side when it comes to competitors and understanding the strategic moves they're making and, and anticipating what may be to come in the brand messaging based on some of those new areas that they're focusing on. So I think uh, I, get, I get a little bit of a, a cheat code, if you will, by understanding some of those metrics that matter in order to anticipate those moves. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting because if anything has evolved in the last five to 10 years around marketing, it's been the focus on the consumer and understanding that consumers are making more choices in healthcare and that brands needed to evolve in order to really communicate with them effectively. And then you pair that with the fact, you mentioned competition and, and some people say that Phoenix is the uh, most competitive healthcare uh, city in the country, uh, at least one of them. So tell us a little bit about how Dignity has evolved in this in this era of healthcare consumerism and, and what steps the, the organization has taken to, to better communicate and really better relate to its consumers. Sure. So about four years ago, Dignity Health launched as a new brand. And um, prior to that, we were known as Catholic Healthcare West. And we were basically a portfolio of hospitals that had some linkage uh, tying back to our Sisters of Mercy, the mission, but really every hospital functioned in its own silo. And in, in early 2012, Dignity Health was launched as a new brand. And with that came a brand statement, a brand promise uh, known as Hello Human Kindness. And I think those two things really 
transition the dialogue and, tr and turn the focus of Dignity Health from that portfolio management operation to a that that transition Dignity Health into a really a marketing engine and a um, a cohesive a cohesive unit that was able to unify its its message with consumers and really provide that consistency from hospital to hospital. So if you were a patient at Chandler Regional in Chandler, Arizona, and then need to be transferred to St. Joe's for a higher level of care, you see a lot of the same things. You, you hear the same language. It's a, it's a core set of values that every hospital and every employee goes through from you know, onboarding all the way through annual reviews, you know, that's, that's something that really is driven home. So um, it's really been an interesting transition. And with those changes came a lot more sophistication. We know that with this brand equity, it, it is a value proposition that we have to deliver to the consumer, both on the upfront side and the, the approach to them online or in or out of home units. But then consistently throughout the patient journey, um, even to post-discharge and, you know, trying to retain them as a loyal consumer going forward. Yeah, you know, Hello Human Kindness, I've always admired that as, um, I mean, quite contemporary uh, and super friendly, obviously, starting off with uh, almost a, an introduction, um, but then uh, a nice play on words with humankind and then kindness. Were you a part of that story? Uh, were you a part of or know a little bit about how that was developed and some of the competitive dimensions and other aspects of, of the development of that uh, particular position? Um, so that, that part of the genesis from CHW to uh, Dignity Health and then that, the extension of Hello Human Kindness was developed through a number of interviews with consumers, both existing patients as well as pr prospective patients, and then uh, interviews with our employees to, to try and hone in on what the core value is that brings people to healthcare. And really, you know, if you think of nursing, I mean, the, a, a big majority of our, pay, our, our employees are nurses, and kindness is something that all resonates with them. And it's something they try to bring to the bedside every day. From that same standpoint, on the patient side, you know, healthcare is a scary thing. It's expensive. There's a lot of bumps in the road. But what consumers resonated over and over again was the fact that if their nurse showed kindness and compassion, that that was that was the element that they take away, and that's the one thing that they always tie to a good healthcare experience. You know, I know that uh, Dignity is headquartered out of the Bay Area, correct? Yes. All right. So, um, you know, Hello Human Kindness is, um, I mean, 100% agree with you about uh, the interaction with the nurse, the relationship that you have as a patient with the care staff, and especially with the RNs and the other folks that are. Um, that, that you see several times an hour. Uh, so the universal applicability of that 100% uh, great. Though uh, I know a lot of the organizations that are listeners of this podcast are just like Dignity, where there are different hospitals and other sort of uh, facilities across different geographies and different states. In what ways do you feel like uh, uh, 
an organization has to focus locally in terms of its communication strategies or uh, other ways of connecting with its uh, specific and sometimes unique patient population? Well, I think, you know, your, your geographies that you serve, um, you know, Arizona is, our, is the service area I represent, and our hospitals happen to be within clo relative close driving distance. We have other markets within our footprint, such as Central California, where there's 100 plus miles between facilities, and it's very different demographics. So um, for us in Arizona, um, you know, we have a we have a lot of everything. So we have an aging population, we have a transient population, we have, meaning people coming from a lot of different states. We have a Latino population that we have to make sure that our messaging resonates with as well. And then we have the, the millennials, which we all love talking about and try, love trying to figure out. Um, and, and really those four segments are, they, they, they require different things. And we need to make sure that we hit our message with every single one of them. And that's the beauty of Hello Human Kindness is no matter how old you are, how much money you make, where you're from, kindness is, is a known currency. And so we bring that with our, with our message and, and hopefully through our patient experience um, every time and I think that's what really sets us apart from other systems. And this is a very competitive market and we have big names and a lot of spend. And so getting that share of the, of the voice in this market is, is, a, is a challenge. And really, it, you, we have to stand out from the crowd. And you know, if you have an ER visit, I mean, ERs are pretty much the same no matter where you go. Uh, the, you know, what, what differentiates it, it's, it, it has to be that human touch point. So let's talk a little bit about the focus on digital um, and be interested to hear from you, because I know that's where you spend uh, much of your time, is how do you take this new focus on consumerism and this, you know, the, this uh, brand promise of hello, human kindness, and translate that into digital? And how do you communicate that digitally to, to patients and potential patients? So that's a, it's a challenging thing because you're trying to have human interaction online. And so we have the traditional funnel approach to marketing and really social media is our start point. That's where in digital, we, we have the broadest reach and we have uh, the ability to engage with consumers. And Hello Human Kindness is a great platform for social media because you know, everyone loves to see the video of, you know, we, ha we had a spot a couple of years ago where there was a, um, an elderly lady that was trying to cross the street and you know, it was, this was found footage, but someone got out of their car and helped her across the street. It actually was, mocked on the tonight show but it you know it kept us you know relevant in uh the consumer space and that we are trying to elevate kindness beyond just healthcare. and so what we do locally is we try to harvest uh, both internal and and found content that really demonstrates kindness as as an attribute and link it with dignity health and what we're trying to accomplish with our our brand and um so taking it from 
that sort of high level. You know, we also have the typical banner ads. We have uh, paid um, SEM. We have in-app experiences. Uh, we have the takeovers on all the different n- news channels locally. But you know, we've we've done Hulu. We've done Spotify. So we we try to be in the spaces that consumers are. And um, really, the, the, the trick and the challenge for us is to try and link everything back to a, a call to action. I mean, that's, that's really the, the root of all digital marketing is to really drive home a call to action. And unfortunately, in healthcare, as many know, we don't have a shopping cart. We don't have um, a, a retail store. And most of the time, consumers aren't paying out of their own pocket at first. We don't collect money up front. So... It's a challenge to try and convince somebody, hey, when I get my next knee replacement, I'm going to choose Dignity Health. You have to really sort of bring them into the journey before they're ready for it. And and really, that's the, the social media is our, our space for that. How, um, and, and Russ kind of talked about this earlier from the perspective of the uh, uh, larger organization and the larger brand promise, but... Um, how, how do you coordinate with the, the corporate offices in California in terms of making sure that, especially on social media and digital channels, that, that you have that local feel, but at the same time, there's that consistent brand message? Uh, I mean, is it that consistent where if I were in San Francisco or Central California and saw some of the dignity uh, communication there that I could recognize it from the brand I know well here in Arizona? Yeah, we've invested a lot of energy into making sure that there is consistency no matter where you are. If you're close to a Dignity Health facility, you'll know. Um, and, and really, the, there, it, it's required a lot of coordination among the different service area leads um, that represent the different hospitals. We have a footprint of 40 hospitals across California, Nevada, and Arizona. In Arizona, we have five uh, locally in the Phoenix market. But, um, you know, if you were to drive on the on I-10 going through San Bernardino in California, you would see a billboard that looks very similar to something you would see on the 202 here in in Phoenix. So, um, you know, working with one agency, having one agency of record really helps deliver that consistent strategy across the board. The, the challenge and the, I guess the, the science to making sure it has a local feel is really having on the ground marketing teams that still coordinate at the, at the enterprise level, but also have local control over certain assets um, in, within the market. So with, um, in Arizona, we do some things differently because of the uniqueness of our population, you know, we we have such high growth here that we have to always be pushing for innovation and and trying new things. And there are other markets that are mature and really want to retain the population they have and not lose it to a local competitor. Um, you know, we have a lot of growth, uh, as I mentioned, population-wise, but we also have new competitors, new facilities being launch it seems weekly around here so um you know we're included in that in that mix as well but our big competitor here banner um they are very strong they have a strong um base population with their managed lives and so 
there's a certain population we just can't target. And, um, you know, we have to realize that that's, that's just something we have to kind of understand and deal with. It's, it's definitely a dynamic um, situation that bringing it back to the point of having that consistency, um, you know, when we know we're pulling a uh, new population in from California, as an example, you know, if they were a patient of Dignity Health in California and they moved to Phoenix and they see Dignity Health, that they can just continue that relationship and not have to worry about establishing a new relationship with a healthcare provider. Because that's a big, it's a big challenge when you move to have to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the broad awareness there, uh, I'm sure, definitely helps so that people can uh, recognize sort of like a familiar face when they when they when they when they do move. You were just mentioning that uh, because Phoenix, uh, because of the growth in population, the types of folks uh, that are you know the, the 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 transient folks that come at like snowbirds, for example, that there's more of a focus on innovation for dignity here in the valley. What are some examples you'd like to share around that um, in terms of what you feel like? Dignity here in Phoenix has to do differently than uh, other organizations to sort of capture and and be a relevant participant in all of that growth. Sure. So um, you know, from a digital standpoint, you know, one thing we realized is the old um, lecture, the the lecture series that the hospitals would do, where you have you know a doctor come in, you serve coffee and donuts. People mostly come for the coffee donuts, but they'll hear about a total joint replacement or, um, you know, AFib or some some condition that may strike interest. And we noticed that the roster of of folks that registered for these things started declining. And um, you know, there there's there's a couple things I think going on. One, um, older population is becoming more familiar and more comfortable with using online resources to find the information they're looking for. And um, the other is that you, know, you have what we, what we term the, the chief medical officer of the home, which is the you know, 39-year-old female is, is the prototype that, or the archetype that we work from. And um, you know, she makes the decisions for her family. She makes the decisions for her parents and for herself. So you know, we really want to get our messaging in front of that key decision maker and influencer in the household. And we know that that really correlates well with Facebook utilization. So one thing we've done is we've created these two minute video series that um, are essentially the replacement for the, the lecture. And we pick a topic, we target consumers with it and we get it in front of them with relevant information and the great thing about it is because it's digital it's measurable um it it has a clear call to action that drives to some next step like a health risk assessment an online risk assessment or um scheduling with an on with a provider online and um you know we've we had to realize that opportunity quickly and jump on it and we've had great success with really delivering content to consumers when they want to see it versus scheduling a time for them to come in and take time out of their schedule and and maybe you know they wouldn't get what they wanted out of it whereas if they don't get what they want out of this they didn't really invest a whole lot of time but if they do 
then they have some follow-up steps they can take and really get the information they're, they're after. I like that. I like that quite a bit. It's, it's a really great example of um, tailoring the media to fit the channel, right? And it kind of just reminds me of the brands who were finding success on like Vine, back when Vine was still the thing, right? Rest in peace. <laughs> Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Reminds me of those home improvement um, stores like Lowe's who had success uh, uh, back on Vine when Vine was still a thing. And, um, you know, their quick six-second, you know, how-tos on things. Um, Earlier, uh, Chris, you were talking about how important calls to action were, uh, especially when it comes to digital. And I can see how uh, metrics such as views and and other sorts of engagement metrics might be relatively... um, uh, visible on on platforms like Facebook, where you have these two minute videos, um, but what what ultimately then is the call to action, or the desired action, um, uh, aside from this broad awareness play that we're talking about, um, and starting that relationship early with people before they actually need to have some sort of a healthcare encounter, uh, what would be the call to action in that sort of uh, phase of the funnel? So our, our initial call to action in, in this case would ideally be completing a health risk assessment. Um, once that health risk assessment is completed, it sort of stratifies the audience into risk categories. Um, I think successful marketers know that everything you do needs to drive to a CRM. I mean, that's really the hub of all activity online. Uh, once you bring them into the, bring the consumer into the funnel, and so we work with a CRM approach that drives consumers from those risk assessments or any other online touch point where we capture information, and then that gives us the ability to then follow up and use some of the techniques that have been in digital marketing for you know as long as digital marketing has been around really. Um, in healthcare, it's been a slow adoption curve to get caught up to where retail and, and other industries are. But um, you know, we also have a lot of layers of regulation and risk. And you know, there's HIPAA and PHI that we have to really be sensitive to. So if we're, if we're able to segment categories of consumers into behavior and risk strata, then we're able to then craft messages to then hopefully drive another call to action, such as scheduling with a provider. Um, you know, primary care is the first touch point in most of the patient journey. Also, ER, urgent care, but really, it's that low acuity level that once we can get consumers into that that channel, then we're able to hopefully be top of mind as they consider health options when the acuity levels and needs uh, rise. So, um, you know, we've tried to, we have a call center. We're trying to implement call tracking so that when calls are made to the call center, we know what channel drove the call. And then online scheduling is really a huge opportunity for us. Uh, We implemented uh, an online sort of waiting room uh, with, uh, in Quicker to allow us to open up opportunities within our ER so that consumers could wait at home rather than waiting in a crowded ER. And it was 
very well received. The feedback that we get from consumers is you know, it, it, well over 90% say that they would be willing to use it again um, or recommend it to family or friends. And if, if you think about your day to day, you know, you're scheduling something online, whether it's an, a flight or a hotel room or dinner, um, you should be able to do that with healthcare. And, um, you know, so we're trying to get to the point where it, any of the pathways that don't require some extra step, like a specialist referral or things like films or uh, some kind of order, you know, like lab, it's kind of difficult. But really, on those low ac acuity levels, uh, online scheduling could be across the board um, an option. So. Um, you know, we're, we're looking to pilot primary care and then look from there to um, see what really works with consumers. And because that's the goal is to be uh, available and in the place where consumers spend the most time and not wait for them to come to us. I really like that example you brought up about the emergency department and people being able to uh, check in online and, and wait uh, at home or wherever it might be, um, which really connects the digital experience that, that you're delivering to the on-premise experience. Uh, in what other ways uh, is digital connecting to the on-premise experience? One focus of our, our CEO, Lloyd Dean, has been to improve the guest experience and um, you know really if you think about who enters a hospital it's not just the patient the family also is is part of the equation we want to make sure that when they're on site whether it's in the ER or if they're visiting a, a newborn a new family member or if they're visiting a, a, a grandparent or a parent that's recently had surgery that both the online and offline experience is a positive one. And, you know, simple things like uh, guest Wi-Fi. Um, we had a very complicated pathway to get online in the hospital. Uh, you, you had to get a code from the concierge. It would expire after a certain amount of time. And our CEO had a vision of, we need to be as simple as Starbucks. Starbucks has a great consumer experience. Whether or not you think the coffee's, you know, the best that you've ever had is, is, is one thing, but you cannot argue that whether you're in a Starbucks in Tempe, Arizona, or Toronto, or it's, it's going to be the same. It's going to be easy access to the Wi-Fi. The uh, barista will ask you your name. They'll probably spell it wrong, but they'll still pronounce it correctly. And you know, there's going to be Spotify playing in the in the um, in the retail space, and and you'll be able to connect all those things. So, having that kind of experience uh, from a digital perspective really makes uh, that continuity. It allows the consumers to get online, which is uh, is is important to many. But then also, hopefully, if they're having a great experience, they're talking about us online. So we want to give them the opportunity to know who we are, um, see our online touch points within the uh, facility, and then have a conversation about us. And if they're not happy, maybe we can address it before 
it becomes a bigger issue. If they are happy, then they're going to be sharing, you know, baby pictures on, hopefully with consent of the parents. Um, uh, but uh, you know, if if they're Ha, you know, have that sweet newborn. Maybe they'll put the hashtag Hello Human Kindness. They'll tag the location of the facility. And so that starts to really grow organically um, who we are, what we're about, um, the positive experiences that people have. And, um, and, and it grows from there. And I think um, being proactive about those things and, and understanding what behavior consumers do when they enter our facility kind of gives us a, a leg up on how to approach that going forward and, and, and making sure that the consumers are, are aware of our our locations and, and our, our, our platforms. Yeah, that's a really great summary of how you can connect that and, and the important role digital plays in experience um, because we all know that 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 you know the role HCAPS is playing these days in terms of how it can affect reimbursement and, and things of that nature, uh, make it important. Is, are there any other ways that digital can help with that, especially when it comes down to HCAPS and, and things of that nature? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, reputation man is, management is such a it's a big task. It's a big thing, and really not just being aware of what people are saying, but responding because, you know, in, within HCAPS, you know, the responding and listening component is, is a big unit of measure. And, um, you know, if, if there's a bad review on Yelp or Facebook or Google, um, you know, you have to know what, what is being said. You have to respond to what's being said. And then you have to act on what's being said. And, and it's sort of that three-headed monster that makes it so challenging because, you know, I'm in marketing. Um, I, don't, I can't change processes in the hospital. I can't, I can't really respond to billing problems because I don't work in the billing environment. Um, so, you know, you, you have to have an open lines of communication with all of the players and, and understand where the pain points are going to come from. Um, I know that almost every day there's going to be someone complaining about billing because hospital billing is very complicated. Um, and being able to get those addressed early, um, knowing that people are thinking that they're talking to a billing representative when they come to Facebook. They just think that whoever is listening on the other end has the power to act. So. Um, that's the approach we try to take is that, you know, A, we have to respond. B, we have to take it offline so that we're not putting the consumer at risk for sharing things that are personally identifiable. We don't want to uh, create um, any HIPAA risk. And then um, really making sure that the follow-up is taken and um you know a lot of times it's just forwarding an email or you know but that's not enough i mean you, you have to know you have to find those champions of the patient and make sure that um you know in, at, at dignity health we have a um uh, consumer excellence or um consumer experience manager at our hospitals that sort of handles these and triages them, make sure that um, it goes to the right channel. So that's really who I partner with to make sure that from that initial 
complaint or, or, um, or praise. I mean, it, it, it works both ways um, that we get that information to uh, the service excellence or consumer um, experience manager and then make sure that, that everything is dealt with accordingly and then follow up with the consumer online because that's the pathway they chose to state their issue. So um, I, I think that there is a huge opportunity for us on, on those platforms and in reputation management to identify things while they're hot rather than wait until that survey comes in and then why did our reimbursement drop 10% this year? You know, why did our H caps drop? Well, if we, if we're proactive, we can stay on top of it and make sure that we're all working in concert on behalf of the patient. So, you know, Chris, thus far we've, we've talked about a wide range of subjects and, and a lot about how, uh, the, the Hello Human Kindness brand has evolved, how that's uh, influenced the digital uh, approach that Dignity takes, as well as all the way now talking about reputation management and kind of that post-visit experience. And so we'd love to hear your opinion. You know, as we've talked about the last five years. Now let's talk about the next five years. How do you see digital changing uh, in healthcare? Uh, and how do you see it evolving in the future? Well, I think, um, you know, if you look at retail and um, just some of the other day-to-day consumer experience uh, channels that exist today, that's probably a good indicator of where healthcare would go in the future. And, you know, we, we're at the point now where Uber is, is a term that we use to get a ride. It's not a company. It's not, a, I mean, we just, I, I'm Ubering to the airport. It's a verb now. So, um, you know, on-demand services really, I think, are the the next wave of healthcare consumerism. Um, you know, you think of, uh, you know, there's 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 a one one person I look to as sort of an influencer of of uh, where my mind goes from a uh, a future vision standpoint is Dr. Eric Topol. He has written books. He's done lectures. I saw him speak at uh, Shushmet a couple years ago, and um, he really sort of set the stage by saying, the patient will see you now. And and if you think of, you know, your experience in a doctor's office, the doctor will see you now, and then you go in and wait 20 minutes for the doctor to see you for five minutes. And, you know, when, when you change the conversation to the patient will see you now, that really invites the opportunity for on-demand services and we see it in some spaces now um, there's uh, companies like doctor on demand and and MD live that provide in-home patient care via smartphone or desktop computer just over a webcam and um, they can treat about 80 percent of the lowest acuity things that can be seen in like a, a minute clinic or a, an urgent care. And these are companies that were tech first, not healthcare first. They solved the problem using technology. And we're a healthcare company that's trying to solve a problem using technology as a solution. And um, so, you know, our, our competitive space went from, you know, 20 years ago, it was other hospitals. Now, we're competing against, you know, Walgreens, and we're competing against, um, you know, startups that 
don't even exist yet, but will and are going to keep trying to cut into different levels of acuity. And so, um, you know, partnerships are going to be a big thing. There's going to be a lot of consolidation. Um, and, uh, you know, having a tech first approach when thinking about partnering with other companies, it doesn't have to be mergers of big healthcare systems. It could be just a partnership with a tech company that understands consumer behavior. And, you know, we understand caring for patients. So it could be a, a marriage of that that really is the, the future of uh, where we go with uh, healthcare. And it really, digital is the cheapest, fastest, and, um, you know, quickest adoption curve in, in the future of healthcare. So that's really the, 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 the spot that I see we need to be in the next five years in order to remain competitive. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think you're right. There's, there's, you know, so many places to go. And I think there's a lot of exciting times ahead as we figure out which, uh, which approaches are going to resonate the most with consumers when it comes to healthcare. So, uh, it'll be fun to watch. So I think we're going to move on to our next segment just called talk back and this is where we talk to consumers about their views on healthcare and, and and listen to what they have to say and i think this will be an interesting one because you know chris you talked a little bit about you talked a little bit earlier about the the hello human kindness origins and how it really ties back to that role of the nurse and we find that a lot in our work as well that the nurse is the person who often can really make or break the patient experience they they set the um, they set the standard there. So, and that's exactly what we talked to our consumers about this week, about the role that nurses play uh, within the patient experience. And so this week we uh, talked to four folks. We talked to Aisha, who's 23, Jeremy, who's 40, Megan, who's 21, and Olivia, who's 21. So we first asked the group how they would describe the relationship they had with their nurse during their most recent hospital visit. And here's what Aisha, Megan, Jeremy, Kim, and Olivia had to say. I... My relationship with my nurses would be definitely like really personable. I always thought that they like genuinely concerned. You know, I wasn't just kind of like this person who's in the room like 203 or something like that. So I always felt like they were genuinely concerned about, you know, my health, how I was feeling that day and really were wanting to do um, what they could to help. Almost kind of like a friendly, like not even like an acquaintance thing, but like, you know, we would just talk about everyday stuff, kind of like I wouldn't even feel like I was in a hospital almost. Um, they were definitely very kind. They're very soft-spoken. They tried to be very comforting whenever they walked in. I think that's kind of the biggest thing that, as a nurse, you're trying to portray is the, the at-ease feeling versus being high and stressed. Really good. Yeah, they, they seem to kind of be the face of the operation. In my experience, they, you know, they, they're who generally answers most of your questions and provides for the comfort, so I think they're very important. I always, I always have a very, very nice relationship with the nurses because you can tell they're caring, they're nice people, you know, and it, you just let them do their thing. And I love the hospital and doctor environment. I do. I love it. Um, during my last hospital visit, I think we had an okay time with the nurses. I think it's just so individualized. Some really pay more attention than others, and all of that is depending what time of day you go in, how busy they are. So we next asked the group, if they think it's important to make a personal connection to the nurses and doctors that are caring for them, and why or why not. So here's what Aisha, Jeremy, Kim, and Olivia had to say. 
I do think it's important to make that connection for sure between the nurses and the doctors that are caring for you. Um, I think it just give you, gives you a sense of like there's somebody there who actually cares for you. You know, if you're in the hospital for a long time, you may be there for a while. You may not be able to go home to your family. Essentially, you're seeing these people all the time. So I think it's absolutely important to have some kind of connection with them or something other than that's just my nurse, that's just my doctor. Um, just for the sake of feeling like you're not just this other person who's in this room. And then after you leave, there's gonna be some other person that comes after you, like these people really care about you. And I help it, I think it also helps like trust because I always wanna trust my nurses or like trust my doctor. So I think just having that relationship also um, like encourages like trust and enables me to kind of like really understand what they're saying more. I think it can be. I think there's some, some situations where you just wanna be left alone and be with family. But I think there's other situations where you might be lonely and you feel like connecting might actually aid in, in uh, the way that you heal or the way that you feel. Uh, I think it just depends on the circumstance. Yes, because then they pay attention more. If they're really more focused on you, they'll notice things. And, you know, like I have a really good neurologist that noticed a lot of things that needed to be done and he took care of them right away. Yeah, I think it's very important to make that personal connection with the nurse or doctor because they might go the extra mile or try to rush a result if they have that personal connection with you. Finally, we asked the group how they think nurses can provide care beyond the medical care they provide. And here's what Aisha, Megan, Jeremy, and Olivia had to say. So in order for nurses to provide care beyond medical care, I would recommend, you know, just kind of like making themselves available to listen. A lot of the times I think, you know, when I was in the hospital, my grandma was in the hospital, just having someone to talk to is sometimes really like enough. You know, they just need to have somebody else who they can kind of express how they're feeling, especially sometimes, I know my grandmother, she didn't want to seem like a burden to her family, so she didn't always want to tell us exactly how she was feeling. So just letting somebody else know, like having the nurses being able to like listen to you can really, I think, be comforting and be, be like a release for people who are in the... Um, I think nurses just need to be transparent and I think they just need to kind of like uh, in regards to like when you get a shot just kind of saying like okay this might hurt a little bit or here's kind of some of the steps of what we know and just kind of being informative along with everything else that they do. I think nurses can, buy, can, can provide care beyond the basic medicine by just being a human being and trying to connect at, at the human level. Just, Acknowledging and validating some of the things you might be going through, I think, is really important. Um, beyond the medical side of things, I think nurses can really help with um, just making the patient more comfortable in terms of, like, not just physical, but an emotional state, because a lot of times you go in and tensions are high, you're not feeling well, and so just having someone to reassure you while you're in the hospital. So, Chris, we heard a lot of interesting insights from the group there, and, and we even heard the word human several times, but what did you take away from listening to that? Well, I think, you know, the, the key to all of those points is that empathy matters and listening is crucial to ensuring strong patient success. And I think beyond listening, it's also listening and responding. And, you know, that, that is one of the core metrics that we measure in patient experience. So hearing that the, you know, I think everyone assumes that when they go to a hospital, they will get 
quality care. You know, the doctors are competent. Nurse staff knows what they're doing. Uh, the, the, the added value that a healthcare organization can provide and, and really train their staff into uh, executing is, is the compassion and, and the uh, really listening to the needs and being sort of that, that extra ear and extra set of eyes uh, for the patient when they're in their most vulnerable state. And um, there's a lot of trust that goes into that. And um, I heard the term trust come up. I heard, I mean, human was, was mentioned so many times. So um, it's, it's, it's a really, um, it, it's refreshing to hear that those things that matter to patients, um, either uh, visiting their family members or as a as an active patient, um, are what we are trying to deliver um, with our our human kindness um, messaging and training and and all the things that we do, all the steps that we take. Yeah, I was struck by those words that you mentioned as well. Hearing the, you know humanity, uh, uh, humankind, and um, also um, it's interesting to me how um, most folks, uh, they, they understand what that compassion and what that kindness, you know, what that actually has an effect on other aspects of their care. So the one that you also mentioned was uh, what Aisha said, that it helps uh, build trust. Compassion and listening helps build trust. Um, you also had... Uh, Jeremy, who said it could help with how you feel and how you heal. So there's an aspect of the, the outcomes that are a, a part of that, too. Because Olivia there at the end was talking about how tensions are so high and, you know, tensions and stress certainly don't help you heal. Um, and so this compassion and the kindness, the friendliness, the caring goes beyond just the emotional side of things. It actually could help out in, in, in many other ways that are real in terms of your physical healing. So one thing that struck me um, in, in those uh, interviews was uh, Jeremy had mentioned that healing can be aided by kindness. And um, it's interesting because uh, Dignity Health did a study to sort of identify what, how, how do we measure the impact that kindness has on healing? And um, you know, we'll, we have an infographic that um, we can share that demonstrates, you know, kindness affects patients. Um, patients who feel supported feel less pain. Human connection decreases blood pressure. Um, and there were actual studies that demonstrated the, the, the number that it can, uh, or the, the value that it can decrease. Um, when doctors listen, patients heal faster. Re respectful care boosts your immune system. So a lot of these different things that we heard matter to patients um, really have a, an impact on, a tangible impact on the healing process. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's another great reminder that, um, you know, the, the sort of the, the difference maker that, you know, people that stay in nursing, you can tell they're in it because they love it and they love the care that they provide for patients they love they're they're just empathetic and and very genuine people and um you know that that kindness layer is really what separates the you know the pretenders from the the actual deliverers of the care so um it, it struck home to me um in hearing those comments that uh you know we are definitely on 
a path and in line with where consumers uh, thoughts are when it comes to the care process. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's great, and we'll we'll uh, share that infographic in the show notes. Our listeners can take a look at it. But interesting to see how some of the research can align with what we're hearing. So that's great. Let's move on to our next segment, which is called flipping the script. And Chris, we're flipping the script on you in this case. So we'd love to hear from you uh, a, a story or an example of a healthcare experience that either you had or maybe a friend or family member had that really affects how you approach your job in healthcare today. Do you have anything you can share with us? So back in April, my my grandfather, um, you know, he had been battling a variety of different cancers. Um, through the later years in his life. And, um, you know, so I, I was able to make a trip. He lives in Boston. You know, it's not super easy to get from Phoenix to Boston on moment's notice, but I wanted to make sure I got there um, to see him um, before he passed. And, and so I took a trip to visit and I was able to see, you know, you get kind of, you lose perspective when you're in the business because we we focus so much on on growth and engagement and and numbers that you really kind of I don't want to say desensitize you but you separate yourself from what is actually happening in the care environment and um, being there as a family member uh, of of my grandfather who I loved dearly um, you know he taught me how to play golf he you know we I, I went to Cape Cod with him and my grandmother uh, so many times throughout my childhood so um, being there with him there and um, and seeing the care teams that were really their job was to make him feel comfortable and answer my grandmother's uh, questions and and my aunts and uncles questions and um, so that was sort of the the energy I needed to not only make sure my grandfather was was okay and you know I mean he he sadly he passed a couple of weeks later but I was able to spend the time with him but when I came home it really sort of re-energized me as to okay I'm doing this more than just for a paycheck just to hit these growth targets that we have identified it's for every grandfather and grandmother that's you know sort of either at the end of their life or maybe just trying to improve their life so that they can have more time with their grandkids and their and their own children it really helped me refocus on what it is I do and why I do what I do um, and uh, so I, I urge you know everybody you know who's in the business to take those moments and, and sort of separate yourself from those reports and the, and the, and the data and all the, the great things that you do and really just take a moment to step outside of yourself and see the why, you know, what is it that we are really doing to make people's lives better? Yeah, that's, that's great. That's an in, super inspiring thought because I, you're right. We all need to step back sometimes and see be reminded about, you know, yes, sometimes our focus is on a growth number or uh, raising an HCAP score to a certain level or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, all of that rolls up to helping people lead better lives in, in, in all sorts of circumstances. So thank you for sharing that. So our final segment uh, is a fun one, as always. It's an amazing but true fact about you. And what we try to do here is really amaze our audience, Chris. 
and so the pressure's on. But we'd love to hear an amazing but true fact about you. So I, str- I struggled with this one, but I think, you know, th- this fact, and it really I didn't play any role in it, but um, it, it sort of defined who I am today and, and um, I think how I drive myself uh, on a day-to-day basis. So my dad, um, you know, he worked, uh, he still works in construction and we moved a lot. I mean, but I, I was, when I was 12 years old, I moved to South Carolina and that was the seventh state I'd lived in, um, 20th time I'd moved. And, um, you know, I came from New England, so I used to have a really thick Boston accent, um, if you can believe that. So, you know, here I am, a Yankee in the South, and uh, I I looked outside and I remember it was snowing somehow in Greenville, South Carolina, it was snowing that day. And I looked out and I'm like, and I said, like, it's snowing in the parking lot. The cars are getting all covered in snow, and 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 someone looked at me, and they're like, I "Do what now? What did you just say?" And I said, um, "It's snowing outside." And then I kind of ducked away. And so that weekend, I I worked on fixing my accent, and um, apparently my my mom my mom who still has a thick Boston accent, even though she lives here in Arizona and hasn't lived in Boston for probably 20 years. She, she told me that throughout all of my moves, um, I've been able to shift my accent to suit the place. So when I lived in, I lived in Chicago when I was in second grade for six months, like the second half of second grade. And I, I just loved the way they said like B-O-X, the word B-O-X and any short O sounds. So, um, you know, they'd say like box. And so I started saying that like pretty quickly as an eight year old. And then, you know, I moved, you know, back to Massachusetts. And then all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I've got, I, I have the, the full Boston accent going. And then, you know, I moved down south. So the, the root of that story is that, um, you know, I, I was never really able to settle. One of the hardest questions I have trouble answering is, um, you know, those password reminder questions. What street did you grow up on? Right. I'm like, uh. <laughs> so, you know, it, but it's, it's allowed me to sort of become a chameleon. And, and when I was in consulting, that really came into play because, you know, I had clients all over the country. And, um, you know, uh, you work with different departments and different folks that a lot of them have never left where they grew up. So being able to be adaptable um, and and uh, pivot quickly and, and and understand people's perspectives, um, you know, is really driven by the fact that I I moved all those times and and apparently have the ability to uh, be a mimic and and shift my accent at moments moments notice. So, yeah, I love that man. Uh, did you ever live up in like Minnesota or North That's Dakota? That's what I was thinking. Uh, Not one of those? No, but um, <laughs> you know, I, don't you know I can do you know one of the you oh, know yeah. it's funny. I was born in Maine, so um, Maine has a little bit of that um, that Northwest or uh, North Midwest sure. layer. You know, the Mainers would say like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, over there, over yeah, yeah, yeah." Oh, yeah. And so um, you know, it's it's. It's fun to go to all these places now as an adult and hear hear things. And I, you know, I've I've been on conference calls where I could pinpoint, you know, not only knowing someone's from North Carolina, but I can say, you know, oh, you're from Eastern North Carolina, or you know, not Raleigh, but like east of Raleigh. And and they'll be like, well, how do you know that? And I said, you know, my response is, well, you know, I just have that ear for it. And, you know, people in Eastern North Carolina say things very differently than people like from Asheville or 
Charlotte or, you know, so it's it's a. Uh, I don't know. It, it's a useless talent, I guess, um, you know, but uh, it's something that at least it's, it's a good icebreaker, I guess. Yeah. Con- <laughs> conference call tricks, like party tricks. That's right. For the, call in the office tricks, like environment. Yeah. yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great conversation and we've covered a lot of topics, everything from, uh, you know, Taking uh, t- taking a new tagline and evolving an approach to consumerism to uh, accents of the United States. So I think it's been a, a by that measure a great show. Wicked awesome! Thanks everybody. This was great. <laughs> Thank you to Chris Pace for joining us today. We've learned a lot, and we appreciate you taking the time to share with us. And thank you to Russ Maloney for co-hosting and asking all of the right questions. Drew Watkins produces and edits our podcast. And a note to our listeners, you might consider this a seasoned finale. After almost two years of publishing the Crux Points podcast, we're taking some time off to retool and relaunch. We'll be back in the new year, so keep your eyes peeled for a new and hopefully improved Crux Points podcast returning in February 2017. Until then, if you want to keep up with the healthcare consumer, please subscribe to our Five on Friday newsletter at castandhue.com and follow us on Twitter at castandhue. Thanks for listening and have an enlightening day.